when you look at state migration trends. When you look at South Carolina for 2022, it was the third best in the country of net positive migration, meaning that people are moving to South Carolina. And in economics, you know, people move with their feet. <laughs> if they really want to be somewhere, that's where they're going to go. So it ranked third best at plus 1.7%. And I think that's huge when you look at the, the number of people that are moving there. Hello, welcome to this episode with the South Carolina Policy Council, where we're going to talk about the South Carolina sustainable budget and much more about what's going on in the economy and what's going on with fiscal policy in South Carolina. I'm looking forward to this discussion with Bryce Fiedler. Welcome to the show, your show, but I'm glad to be hosting today. Yeah, thank you, Vance, for having me. First of all, thank you for being such a great partner on this project. I think what we're doing, the work that we're doing on building a sustainable budget is so important. It's, you know, it's very inspiring to see states across this the, the country kind of pick up on this model. And then we've started this project recently here in South Carolina, and we're already starting to see the fruits of the, the labor with that. So I, this is really exciting. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, this is the third iteration. For those who may not know me in South Carolina, I'm, I have a PhD in economics. I, I live in Texas, but I've been working on this sustainable sustainable budget, responsible budget for a number of years now. Bryce and I have been working on this for a while together as well. And it's really a pleasure to work with him and, and others there. And there's a lot of good things that are happening across the country. And what's interesting is when you start looking across the country, there's this competition. You know, there's this flat tax revolution that's been happening across the country, which, you know, South Carolina has been part of that, of cutting some taxes over time. There's also been the school choice revolution that's been happening. And I think the next one really needs to be the sustainable budget revolution, because if you're not restraining your spending, then a lot of the other freedoms and everything else and burdens on taxpayers can, you know, continue to go out the window. And so we've got to really focus in on this. So, Bryce, what's been happening in South Carolina, you know, really over the last couple of years as we're looking at this report? That we're, that we're releasing and everything else. What have you, what's really been your highlights of what's happening in South Carolina as far as fiscal policy goes? Yeah, well, I think the good news is that South Carolina overall is in a very strong position, right? If you look back a couple years ago during the COVID-19 pandemic, South Carolina is one of the states that never really shut down, right? We, we took the smart approach. We let business continue to keep on offering business. And as a result, our state economy has been performing very well compared to uh, even a majority of other states in the United States. And so what we've seen as a result of that is some very strong and impressive budget surpluses over the last couple of years. Now, obviously, that presents an opportunity, and you can take that opportunity one way or another. And so right. in, to, in 2022, you know, South Carolina passed its first ever in the state in or personal income tax cut, where basically we, we have a, a bracket system. We collapse the lower bracket, and we also reduce the top rate from 7%, which was the highest in the Southeast, down to 6.5%. And now every year going forward, we're going to see incremental 0.1% reductions until eventually it gets to 6%. Now, we'll talk about a little bit later how sustainable budgeting ties into that and can be used to accelerate that process. But we're, we're on strong footing. We, we've set ourselves up for a for brighter future. I really think adopting a sustainable budget is going to be key to reaching our full potential. Yeah, it, it really will be. And there's a lot of competition, you know, in the southeast. <laughs> when you've got North Carolina that just reduced its flat income tax rate to what's going to go down to 2.49% over a couple of years, which will be the lowest you know, in the, in the country. And so whenever you see this sort of, well, besides those seven states that don't have a personal income tax, of course, but when you see Florida, others in the region not having personal income tax or having lower income taxes, it puts more pressure on South Carolina, right, to really get things moving in the right direction? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. The Southeast is just a competitive region right now. People yeah. are flocking 
from, from the western part of the United States, from the northern part of the state. South Carolina is one of the fastest growing states in the nation, but alongside it are states like Florida, uh, Georgia, you mentioned states without a personal income tax. Florida is one of those seven. Tennessee is another one of those seven. Yep. Georgia recently has taken steps to reduce its income tax rate. And, and North Carolina, you know, it does have an income tax, but it's been very ambitious with bringing that down to a flat, uh, very low rate. And so that just, it's going to raise the urgency for South Carolina to take pretty quick action to remain competitive in the region. It, it really will, Bryce. And one thing that we do in this report is to look at different comparisons of the key economic states, the largest states in the country. When you look at you know California, Florida, Texas, and, and New York, which those four have very different governing models versus conservative, more more conservative Florida and Texas versus more progressive, you know, New York and California. But when you look at the economic freedom of North America index, South Carolina ranks 19th. So it's better than average, um, it, but it has a ways to go. But it's not nearly like the California that ranks 48th and in New York that ranks 50th. But another key point of this, Bryce, is when you look at state migration trends, when you look at South Carolina for 2022, it was the third best in the country of net positive migration, meaning that people are moving to South Carolina. And in economics, you know, people move with their feet. <laughs> if they really want to be somewhere, that's where they're going to go. So it ranked third best at plus 1.7%. And I think that's huge when you look at the, at the number of people that are moving there. What have you seen there from the number of people that are moving in? Are they finding jobs or is the economy really keeping things going? Yeah, it's as I said earlier, South Carolina is in a really good position, and I think that's only growing so as a result of all the positive migration that we're seeing. Business here is doing very well. We, ha we have a lot of industries that are only continuing to grow. Um, our major cities, you know, Charleston area, Greenville up in the upstate, and Columbia, where I live, have all seen substantial growth in the last couple of years, especially on the edges of the state. What's nice about all that is we're still seeing a relatively low cost of living compared to other mm. states that are really exploding in the last couple of years. You look at a state like Florida, where I'm from, I'm from Orlando, the housing market in Orlando has just gotten completely out of control. You know, a lot of people flocking there. Similarly in Texas, right? You look at a place like Austin or, or, or even yeah. Dallas, right? The, the cost of living has risen quite substantially as people move here. So South Carolina is in a good position that not only are a lot of people moving here, but the, the cost of living, relatively speaking, is still some, somewhat lower. So it, I think it's made it a really attractive destination for a lot of people. Now, I, I think that's exactly right. I live near Austin, Texas, so I can tell you these prices are going through the roof. Fortunately, I bought a couple of years ago before interest rates went up, uh, which is a whole other cost. <laughs> but you, you could see some of those different dynamics that are going on. Another thing that's interesting about South Carolina is when you look at this poverty rate. So some could say, well, look, they've got a pretty good measure of government burden, lower taxes than a lot of other places across the country. But you know, maybe they have a really high poverty rate. Well, if you look at the official poverty rate, which measures before tax income, and it doesn't measure regional differences between, you know, housing prices across the country that you just correctly mentioned, it, it ranked, so it's 13.3% is the official poverty measure, which is, is kind of high. It's a little bit over the, over the average of 11.5%. However, when you look at after tax income, and you look at transfer payments, and you look at these regional housing price differences, it has the lowest out of the neighboring states and out of the biggest states in the country at 9.5% supplemental poverty rate. And so I think this really tells the story is that something is going right in South Carolina compared with a lot of other places. And so that's a good sign. I know there, there's more that we could be doing, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But what, what have you heard about in South Carolina, about its poverty, you know, the lowest income folks overall? I think it goes back to your point about the lower cost of living. But what have you really seen, you know, kind of being boots on the ground there? 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's no there's no denying it. There are certainly areas of South Carolina that are that are considerably poor, and that's even compared to other places in the, in the United States. And so, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that you want to have a, a a low tax rate, sustainable spending, is that you can provide relief for people that are obviously doing well, but obviously, most yeah. maybe most importantly for the people that that need as much extra money as their pocket as they can possibly get. And so that's why we're so adamant and encouraging about adopting these sustainable policies so that we can really see the people of South Carolina prosper, right? We've seen a lot of growth in in kind of the major areas that I talked about earlier in South Carolina, but we've also seen some promising signs in some of the smaller cities here too. And so I think continuing to adopt these smart policies and stay on this right path is really going to bring prosperity to all places across South Carolina. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I I think that's one of the big things here. Like we could talk about limited government all day and we're both limited government folks, but at the end of the day, it's about human flourishing. How do we get people to prosper overall across the income spectrum? And, And I think too often we get caught up a lot in like GDP growth and everything else, which is good. But if it's not helping people be better off in the process, then we can have some problems. Fortunately, we see that research and the evidence of different countries and different states that have had more limited government um, and more free markets has provided more prosperity. (laughs) So we've got a lot of evidence on our side, which is great. And so, you know, when we start looking now at the budget, let's get into some of the, 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 um, the weeds here on what's going on with the budget there in South Carolina. You know, we've been doing this. This will be our, this is our third report now on the South Carolina sustainable budget. And, you know, we've had, um, some success, some some not so much success, but there's been this flood of money that's been coming in. And, you know, we're looking at the recurring general funds. It's the portion of the budget where legislators, the assembly has, you know, the most control over. But there are a lot of other money that are flowing in over the last couple of years with COVID, as you mentioned earlier, federal funds coming down and all these other things that have been going on. That has created, like you said earlier, some challenges and some opportunities. Some of the opportunities have been, you know, cutting taxes, but there's also challenges of growing the budget too fast. But what have you really seen growing in with with the budget and some of our work over the last couple of years? And then we can get into the more specifics of the sustainable budget. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen overall kind of the budget has been built and, and even grown lately off of the the kind of positive direction that South Carolina is trending in. So we have seen some some fairly large growth, probably well, most certainly growth that is that is beyond what is kind of considered healthy based on population yeah. and inflation, which we'll get into a little bit more. Yeah. And that's been facilitated by fairly large kind of budget surpluses. And so we're we're at a really important moment right now here starting in January where the legislative budget process is really going to kick off in earnest. So our mm-hmm. our agencies are going to go before kind of the, these various um, House and Senate budget committees and, and, and ask for, for more money to uh, raise their budget, I, I should say. And so that's why having something like a South Carolina Sustainable Budget Project, which is what we're here to talk about today, is really such an important tool for legislators to reflect on and refer to as there are temptations and even opportunities to spend more money. That's why this I think this tool is so important because it's a, it's a data-driven resource, which it says, Hey, based off of these key metrics, which kind of indicate what the average taxpayer can afford to pay for government services, the state should should essentially appropriate no, no more money than than kind of what the data would suggest. And so that's where we're yeah. at right now. Yeah. yeah, that's good, Bryce. And, you know, when you're looking at some of these trends, because I think just for the audience, let's make sure to put a fine point on the need for the sustainable budget. You know, even in places like South Carolina, that has done a, a pretty good job compared with a lot of other countries, a lot of other states that are out there and countries, too. But other, other other states, when you look at the growth rate over the last decades, so you look at 2015 to 2024, those fiscal years, the, the, the growth in the budget for recurring general revenue has been 91 percent, 91 percent. So what does that 
that mean? How does that compare with the average taxpayer's ability to pay? And so a good measure of the taxpayer's average taxpayer's ability to pay is population growth, so more people. Also inflation, which is tied to wage growth historically over time. Put those two together and you get a good measure of the average taxpayer's ability to pay. Well, that increased by 50% over the last decade. So when you think about that, you know, that's about an 80% overage, meaning that the budget has grown 80% faster than population growth plus inflation. And that indicates that there needs to be more restraint. Now, if you if you broke that up, Bryce, into the, the five years, the early, or sorry, since 2013, I should say, so 2024, not uh, over the last 12 years. And so if you look at 2013 to 2017, the budget grew by 5.7% compared to 2.3% in population growth plus inflation. And 2018 to 2024, the more recent period, the budget's grown 6.4% compared to 4.6. So it's more in line with population growth plus inflation more recently than in the earlier years. But I think this puts a fine point on the fact that there is a lot of excess spending. In fact, it's over by about $12 billion on a cumulative amount when you took a difference between the budget and population plus inflation each year, $12 billion more, which amounts to about you know, a little over $8,000 for a family of four that they're spending more. That tax burden is more on families. And so I think this really puts the, the fine point on why there needs to be a sustainable budget. And so what is it a sustainable budget, Bryce? What, what, how, how would you explain it? And then we can kind of go into more of the details there. A sustainable budget is kind of a it's a flexible model that is intended to kind of, in our case, limit annual budget appropriations from the general fund based on the rate of population growth and inflation. And I think you did an excellent job kind of explaining why those metrics are used in this situation. They're, they're kind of general indicators of the sign of growth that a state is experiencing, how many people are coming to the state, obviously the value of the dollar. Those are very important metrics when you're talking about spending overall. And the good part about a sustainable budget, and I want to be clear about this, is it doesn't tell legislators where to put the money when it comes to the budget. So it doesn't tell them that so-and-so department should have their budget raised or so-and-so service needs more money or less money for that matter. We, we want, you know, we understand that it's, it's the legislator's job through the budget process to decide most appropriately where South Carolina taxpayers' money ends up going. What it does do is it sets a ceiling, which basically says, if increases, I should say, are going to occur they should at least be yeah. no more than this recommended limit. And that recommended limit is based on population growth plus inflation. So that's why we think we have such an advantage with a tool like this is it's flexible. It can even be scaled up to the federal level, and it can also be scaled down to local governments, which we've even seen and we can talk about here a little bit later. So, you know, that's yeah. why we find it so encouraging. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Bryce. And it's it's something, too, that you're putting a number out there that's a maximum threshold of how much the government should should grow, which is important. It's different than the state spending limit, which has been kind of weak over time. And so this is helping to strengthen that. But it's giving a number, as you mentioned earlier, to the agencies of how much maybe they should spend to where the accumulation of all these agencies and programs should be no more than this, this amount. But also for the legislature when they're going through their process and budget appropriations and their different committee hearings and everything else, hopefully they'll have this in the back of their mind, okay? You know, we're not looking at this from an appropriator standpoint. We're really looking at it from the people who pay the taxes, the, the taxpayer, from their perspective and, and how much they can actually afford to pay for government spending, not necessarily how much everything needs to grow because in a lot of ways, agencies and everything else want to keep growing their budget how much ever they can, right? Just keep giving me more money, but there is a cost to it. So there's nothing is free and the government has no money. It all comes from the taxpayer. So we've really got to keep this in mind. And, and another thing when we're looking at population plus inflation, which let's just go ahead and throw it out there now, Bryce, the sustainable budget for 2025 
the maximum amount for recurring general funds is $12.27 billion, which is a 5.38% increase in population growth plus inflation. Population growth being 1.47% over the, the last year. And then U.S. CPI inflation, which is the chain CPI, which accounts for the substitution effect. It's a better measure than the overall one because people change up their consumption habits over time. And so that was 3.91%, which is still too high. There's too much inflation. But that's still a problem of like D.C. and the Federal Reserve and Congress is overspending that's contributing to a lot of this. And so the total increase then for population plus inflation is 53 that's the maximum that they should be growing in the recurring budget by, which is $12.27 billion. And so when we're looking at this now, Bryce, and, and going and we're, we're here in session, what do you hope some of the legislators and other agencies will think about when they see the sustainable budget? Yeah, well, and I would even maybe look back to this. So this is now the third iteration of the sustainable yep. budget. So I think what we were able to accomplish with the first and second one is we, we really started in a conversation that had yet to happen here in South Carolina, right? We, we are reshaping the way that legislators and even people here are thinking about what the budget process should look like. So it's so, you know, we kind of fall into this trap here in South Carolina. A little bit about how our budget process works is basically we take current level, uh, current spending levels rather, and just carry them forward into the new year. And the only discussions that happen about, happen about what the budget are, how are we going to spend the new money that we have, the surplus money? So the, we're really only having conversations about some of the money at the top, whereas the bulk of the budget, that recurring every year amount, is just carried forward automatically without very much thought or deliberation whatsoever. So the sustainable budget reframes that conversation a little bit. It says, hey, look at spending as a whole and understand that there are implications for maybe overspending a little bit too much. So I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier about kind of this, yeah. this uh, what the current limit is now, so that $12.27 billion. Look, the elephant in the room, and we know this, is that's, that's a fairly substantial increase if you would look at yeah. compared to kind of normal economic times. And that's just the result of kind of runaway inflation, but also the advantage that South Carolina has had some significant population growth. What that says to me is if there's ever been a year where South Carolina can it can can fall within a sustainable budget model, it's it's right now, right? So mm -hmm. you know the, the the things are moving in that direction. Uh, the sustainable budget has kind of been in the discourse for for over a year now. More legislators are picking up on it, so that's why I'm feeling really optimistic about how things can turn out. And you're right. the The increase is 630 million dollars for the budget, so that can go into, like you mentioned earlier, whatever the priorities are of the legislature. We're not telling them, say, hey, more to healthcare or education or something else. They they should set those based on their priorities of the constituents and of the state. But this is setting a maximum amount of the 12.27 billion overall, which is a 5.38 percent increase. And so they've got to make sure that they stay below that. Now, this allows for some opportunities now. You know, the, the state economists are projecting a $673 million recurring surplus for fiscal year 25 and uh, a small tax cut, you know, cost about $100 million. So, you know, this could be a pretty substantial tax cut this year, right? Absolutely right. If you kind of run the math on that a little bit, you basically realize that you can get to a flat 6% all at once for just an additional $300 million. And obviously, that's an estimation, but that kind of aligns with what some of the projections made by kind of our, our state revenue and fiscal affairs office have said about the tax cuts. So again, you could reach a substantial and immediate tax cut using less than half of the available revenue. So that's why we're so encouraged by this opportunity. It's just a matter of is the will and is the, the kind of desire there to do so. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Great points there. And it, it's exciting. This is what, what needs to happen in South Carolina, have a flat, lower income tax rate. You have more economic growth, more incentives to work and invest and everything else. I mean, this is really what creates pro growth uh, economic um, activity throughout, throughout the state. And so, you know, of course this state economist um, estimate is not using our sustainable budget though. So we could have, if they restrain government spending even more, there could even be more available for tax relief, right? I mean, absolutely. If South Carolina had followed a sustainable budget over that entire period, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars that would be potentially available that could be used to reduce taxes. And that could, at a minimum, substantially reduce our state income tax. And at a maximum, I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that we could get rid of it altogether. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling good about FY25 this fiscal year and the, what the state's going to do. It'll give time for the legislature to digest this South Carolina sustainable budget, gives them more information, like you said, helps to set the stakes of where we need to be and define the narrative about limited government and where dollars should flow. I think another important part of the, the conversation here is um, zero-based budgeting, you know, where you start the budgeting from scratch, you know, too often, like you mentioned earlier, Bryce, was that they, there's what I call budget inertia, where they just take the last one, and they increase it each time from that without really looking at the, how effective are these programs? How, how much is really going into these other areas and where should we maybe find some efficiencies, some, some better effectiveness programs, um, and even eliminate some programs that aren't, aren't good along the way. And that's what you could do with zero-based budgeting. Do you hope that that's something that the legislature will do this, this session? Absolutely, especially because yeah. as we recently highlighted, uh, the framework for zero-based budgeting is actually required by South Carolina law. So, mm -hmm. so the, the budget process basically kicks off uh, every November or by, by the beginning of November when state agencies submit their spending requests for the upcoming budget to the executive budget office. And what the law says is that when agencies are requesting money, they're not only are they supposed to be justifying all of the new spending requests that they're asking for, they're supposed to be justifying their entire budgets, all of the money that yeah. they are currently getting and all of the programs that whether or not it's getting a, a budget change that money needs to be justified annually. That's kind of the philosophy behind zero-based budgeting, and that's why it's used so commonly in the private sector. It looks at, does this program still align with with, with current day needs, right? Mm. Is, it, is it performing as we intended? And if it's not, what sort of conversation do we need to have about slimming it down? Is that money best spent elsewhere? And so um, absolutely, we, we strongly encourage, specifically the governor in this case, to enforce the law so that the budget process can start from a zero-based perspective and the results of that, I think, would be reduced spending. Yeah, no, that's great, Bryce. And one of the things that I've seen in some other states, Texas, Louisiana, and some others, is that they've started moving to efficiency audits to where either the comptroller or the state auditor or even having a private entity come in and do efficiency audits of some of these programs, especially like the safety net programs like TANF and SNAP, um, just to make sure the dollars are actually going to the people you're trying to serve versus other things. I think it's another good way that, that, can, that can add to support what you're doing with the zero-based budgeting. So that might be something else to, to look into in South Carolina. One other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, Oconee County is already working on this model of a sustainable budget, right? Yeah, so last year, so we put out the, the previous sustainable budget at the beginning of 2022, and that, that caught a lot, a lot of eyes at the state level. It also caught a lot, a lot of eyes, rather, at the local level. <laughs> and so Oconee County saw this and was the first county in South Carolina to adopt a sustainable budget to reduce wow. 
the budget and actually limit their their spending based on population growth and inflation. So we thought that was encouraging. We also thought it was historic as Oconee seems to be the first county in South Carolina to do so. And so I think it really sets an example for how other counties can adjust their budgets. And really, it sets an example for what South Carolina can do as a whole. Yeah, I love that. So as we wrap it up here, Bryce, it's been a great conversation. Sustainable budget. Everybody should go out and read the report and check it out. Basically, limiting government spending to no more than population growth plus inflation. And the other added part that we added to this was that any surpluses should be used to cut income tax rates, as you, as you mentioned, talking about lowering it to a flat 6% keep going down from there after all, if we keep following the sustainable budget. So I think this is going to be really important moving forward. And, and, and Bryce, you know, I've been working with about 14 states on this and working with Americans for tax reform. They have a sustainable budget project as well. Looking at spending, we're looking more at the appropriations during the appropriation cycle. This is looking at overall spending. So it's kind of like the front part of the budget and the back part to really make sure we hold, hold these spending limits in place. But ultimately, what we like in South Carolina is a stronger spending limit. You know, put this sort of spending limit in law. Mm -hmm. uh, constitutional amendment would be great. Get the voters approve it because it's longer lasting that way. But what other things are you really hoping to get done um, this session in South Carolina? Yeah, and it's, it, it revolves around a lot of the things that we've currently highlighted here, right? Yeah. So seize this opportunity for tax relief and actually make it happen. Let's use this budget surplus, which quite possibly may be the last substantial budget surplus for the mm -hmm. next several years that we're seeing, and really apply that to its fullest to achieve accelerated tax relief. Let's bring down that top income tax rate to be more competitive in the Southeast, and most importantly, so that more people can have more of their hard-earned money to spend on whatever they need. Yeah. Secondarily, we would love to see kind of the following budget processes uh, start with zero-based budgeting. Let's apply that zero-based budgeting law. Let's get an inventory of all of the different ways the taxpayers' money is being spent. Are these programs needed? Are these services needed? How better could we appropriate that money? And then finally, um, end on a, on a high note here, let's follow yeah. the sustainable budget, right? Let's make... Yeah. Next year with the 25 of the fiscal year 25 budget, you know, the year that South Carolina adopts a sustainable budget and then continues to do that moving forward. Yeah, well, that sounds great. That's the way you're going to let people prosper in, in South Carolina. And I know that you'll be working on it. I'll be working on it with you as well. And we'll, we'll keep this going. So for the audience, thank you all for joining us today. Please go out and check out the South Carolina Policy Council, all the great work that they're doing with Bryce and others. And until next time, let people prosper.